You're listening to Hey Doc, the show for and by people passionate about healthy living. Hosted by Dr. Bridger Cutler and Dr. Caleb Valdez, two chiropractors seeking to make the world a healthier place. Uh, welcome back to Hey Doc Health Topics. I am going to be your host today, Dr. Cutler, and with me I have my co-host, Dr. Valdez. So this is going to be part of a, don't know how many episodes we're going to do yet, but it's going to be a multi-part series about birth. Uh, we might go into a little bit about like conception and just different things that can help with that, as well as when it comes to the birthing process. Um, important things there because I know that's that is something that he is very much one of the authorities in. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the birthing process when it comes to that pregnancy and as well as afterwards and what roles both the mother and the father, specifically the father, um, in certain aspects can do. But he's very much someone who I go to for a lot of that advice and gonna kind of reference a lot of the book that he wrote on it. He literally wrote the book on, on things like this called Starving Babies. We'll drop a link to that. So to start off, um, I mean, I want to know a little bit about your week. Like, how was it? Did you see any, any miracles in the practice this week? Yeah, really good week. Um, trying to think of anything specific that jumped out at me. Um, nothing major, like out of the ordinary, but it's kind of cool because our profession, we get front row seats to tons of medical miracles, they call them, you know, just miraculous healing that happens when you connect the nervous system with body so it's kind of law of harvest you get you reap what you sow you know if you have a well adjusted nervous system a lot of stuff goes right so saw a lot of that this weekend it was really cool awesome i love it yeah okay well we'll start off by um just a little bit of your background and like why how you became concerned with this because you don't have any kids of your own right currently not married um that that was a shout out to you ladies (laughs) not married brilliant um, why did you become concerned with, especially when it came to like prenatal and pregnancy care and as well as postnatal care? Right. So we started, uh, seeing, a the, the form of the shortage was kind of t- touched this all off for me. And this is a book that's been being written in my head for about four years now, as I see kiddos in practice and they're getting sicker and sicker. They're more disconnected from themselves, from their nervous system and from mom. And that is happening earlier and earlier on in the birth process. And actually now we're well into preconception that 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 interference and that noise is happening in mom and dad's bodies, you know, respectively, that the toxin load and the stress levels that we have are making fertility and conception a lot harder than it used to be. And then once you do have a baby on board, that little nervous system is in fight or flight mode from the get go. And um, we're bringing kids into this world that are just... They feel like they've been chased by a bear for nine months in mom's tummy because pregnancy is a medical diagnosis now. Mom feels like, you know, she's on par with a cancer patient walking around with the baby inside. And that's really tragic. Like we, we should be celebrating that like other cultures have historically and helping her stay in this rest, digest mode. Instead, we bombard her with all these ultrasounds and she's in this, this prenatal appointment and that baby shower and this Instagram. You have to do this. You have to do this. Yeah. If you're not taking this, then you're, you're totally doing well, it. Here's a checklist of 40 things to do before Katie gets here and 93 things. And then she's painting. You can't do this and you can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we see a lot higher incidence of things like for some reason, you know, blood clots and blood disorders are a lot higher now. So a lot of moms are just prophylactically taking blood thinners and um, they feel like, oh, preeclampsia is just this inevitable thing I'm going to get. And so if I can make it to 38, 39 weeks 
and and I know it's very tempting, and I, I hear this word slip out a lot when I'm talking to moms and say, well, they'll let me go to 39 weeks before they induce. They said that, you know, they'll let me do this, they'll let me do that. I'm like, you're the boss of this baby. You are the you are the body that this thing is is building. And so you should be the boss. You tell them what you'll let them do. Um, and and I'm very passionate about restoring mom to the center of that birth experience and getting dad right there next to her so that he can he can protect and defend like he's supposed to. So I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I mean being his best friend, it means that it means that I get to myself kind of and I mean in school I really didn't have that big of an interest in these things. And then we took our pediatrics in the um like our OEGM pediatrics class. And it was like the coolest thing to get into this world that I had really never done much research on. Yeah. And to just understand so much more and really see the process. And the more and more that I've gotten into just my belief and my love of the innate capacity of the body to heal, like pregnancy is the coolest thing in time. Like the fact that a mom can grow another human inside of her. And like, I want to say that I have a role in that. Like I will have a role in that someday. Like when I'm married, I have kids. Um, I know my role is not nearly as big as her. It's embarrassingly small. But it's extremely important that I know how to support her. And and I think dads just always take such a big backseat. And especially like me coming from a big family and you coming from a big family. I mean, my dad was was very much there present for a lot of things and did a great job of, of having that connection with us. But so many dads feel like it's very taboo for them to even be involved in it or suggest that they should have a part when and that culture is changing. Thankfully, yeah. I, I see a big change right now of dads. First of all, being educated, being you know curious enough to kind of step into this role. But I think some of it's just out of necessity. The medical world has taken a lot more turf on that area, and so dads are getting edged out, or they're stepping in completely and saying like, "No, this is not okay. This is how this is going to go down because we're the boss here." Freaking do it, dads. So, yeah. <laughs> moms. Your badasses, your beautiful beings, like <laughs> keep going. Yes. You you let people know what you want and what you need, yes. and learn learn what you want, and what you need. Right. Um, so you can make it. And I think it's very interesting. You brought up that pregnancy now it's a medical diagnosis. Yeah, like it's not just like a natural process that our body does. Right. And I feel like we we treat it like a medical diagnosis so much. Well, and I want to address that culture because I think that's the most important thing just to understand where we're at right now and how we got here. Um, because we live in the heart of Utah, you know, there are, you can't swing a dead cat by the tail without hitting a pregnant mom right now. Yeah. <laughs> They're all out walking, cute little baby bumps all over the park. So can't swing a dead cat without hitting a, like an infertility. That's true too. Which is, I mean, obviously one of them is working like they're supposed to because we have all these, all these pregnant mamas walking around getting some sunshine and stuff. And I love to see that. But chiropractic approaches everything from this assumption that our body does well when we get out of its way. And when everything works, you know, as it's supposed to, uh, if you're going to a medical doctor who studies pathology, right? We study salutogenesis. They yeah. study pathogenesis. We we're just kind of recap from our second episode, I think. And so they're looking for something to go wrong, and they're very good at finding it and projecting that out. And thank goodness we have those people because when there is a problem, that's the first thing you want. The problem is in some hospitals, upwards of 80% of their C-section of the baby deliveries are C-sections. It is the most common surgical procedure we do in the U.S. nowadays. It's just getting humans from the inside to the outside. And that has never been the case. And tell me why. Why Why do you think, in your opinion, why do you think that that's... There, there is so much money to be made on that, obviously. And you follow the money, and you will see why we recommend 
induction and um, you know epidurals yeah. and all of these interventions and things like that. Now, our culture, and I, I want to tread lightly on this because there are, I guarantee you, there are moms listening right now that are expecting, that are um, ready to, they, they want to believe that they can do all this. But their culture, and we have generations telling us that, oh, you need to go to a hospital to have a baby. You need to be in the delivery ward. You need Pitocin. You need you know, Arcitotec. Yeah. You know, you need to be induced. Then you need to have a membrane sweep. You need to have an epidural when the pain gets really bad. And then you need to start, you know, thinking you about need, you need, episiotic. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you go this long before we do this. And, and we'll wait and see what this is. But, but the OBGYN there, they, they are the ones who's you know, their license is on the line for this baby. So they take ownership of the whole situation. And that kind of infects their staff that works with them day in and day out that sees them running the show in their mind. And mom and dad are just customers that are in there. And mom basically has a tumor in her that needs to be removed. And then once they're done with that, they raise the tumor for the next 18 years, you know? And we need to reframe that thinking to say, mom is the one who who should call the shots here. And her body is going to do everything that it needs to and if if not, thank goodness we have these pathogenically minded people that are willing to step in and do surgical interventions. But it is entirely possible. We we tend to think that 100 years ago moms were dying left and right because childbirth was so dangerous, and nowadays it's so not much true. better. But not true at all. Let's examine that foundation too. We from yet from last year to this year, we've lost forty percent more moms during the delivery process than we have before. We are we're losing this war. So anybody who comes at you from the status quo, saying that this is the way it's done and this is the best way and this is the pinnacle of medical advancement, they're lying to you or they're getting paid a lot of money. We say bullshit. Exactly. We do say that. So no, we're gonna bleep that one out. So. We say bullshit to that. Um, it's not okay. So. I really wanted to kind of jump back to that point. And I want to call out dads. Moms, if you're listening to this and your husband is not listening to this, like this is for both of you guys. Dads need to be informed about these things. Expecting dads, dads that want to be dads. Um, I mean, single guys, like this is super important for you to understand. You want to like woo a woman, like talk to her about pregnancy. Talk to her about like how, how much, show her that you're interested in something that will be such a huge part. Because I think a lot of ladies, and one of the reasons why so many women don't want to get pregnant now, or, at least girls that I've talked to that I dated who who maybe necessarily didn't want to have kids, a lot of times it came down to, I think they felt like it was all on them. They were the only ones with the responsibility. It was only affecting them. Yeah. Dads need to step in and really be that. I mean, mom's the boss. When it comes to the pregnancy, like as, as much as you want the OBGYN to be the one in charge of everything, mom, you need to be the boss. You need to know what things you want and don't give in to those. You're the one in charge. This is your baby. It's not a tumor. It's not a condition you have. Yeah. You are growing a child in there. That is your child. Yeah. Take control. Dad, be the right hand. When the, <laughs> when, when the boss says do this, you do it. All right? I had a cool paradigm shift too this week listening to some of the other birth workers out there. And I can't remember who prompted this thought. But it occurred to me, like, we use the term expecting mother or you're expecting a baby. Like, no, newsflash, the baby's already there. Like, you, you are a mother. You are a father. It just happens to be inside mom's body right now but but it is very much a baby and you're very much a mother so you're expecting a labor or delivery you know at some point but that's it like the baby is there and knowing that you can plan for of the labor that you want and in, in starving babies i call it connected birth and i don't want to like trademark that idea or anything but that really is a uniquely starving babies term that i, that I coined because 
as chiropractors, we, we connect the nervous system with the body. And, and that's our goal there. But in birth, we have to connect mom's body with baby's body everywhere possible. Yeah, and even postpartum, that's what that's where that diet functions the best. So when when my wife has a baby, Dr. Cutler's gonna be there to assist and to adjust that little baby. And uh, I hope and very I very much vice versa. So yeah. very much vice versa. Yeah. Um that's a that's very counterculture now, you know, to to labor and deliver anywhere other than on an operating table. But uh the statistics and the data is definitely showing that that's the way to do it. Well, we're going we're gonna to focus a little bit more on the prenatal aspect. We'll get into the birthing process type stuff and what role we can play and what role dad, mom should play in that. Um, but I kind of want to jump into, tell me a little bit about like current, just from your experience and working with patients. And I know a lot of times when we have patients come in and I have experience with this too. He just has a lot more. So we kind of focus on his opinions and his thoughts and his experiences. Um, when you have a patient who comes in who is pregnant, um, what are a lot of the recommendations currently that, that you hear about that, that like your typical OBGYN is going to be giving them? That, okay, so like, yeah, that they're getting they come in, they say, hey, my, my doc yeah. told me I should be doing this. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, they're taking like a one-a-day prenatal vitamin, which is um, kind of like a hard candy, basically. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, um, a lot of them are either on some form of bed rest, light exercise, modified exercise, very early on in pregnancy. You know, you can still be doing resistance training, you know, gentle yeah. aerobic. We'll get to that, you know, eventually. But um, I'll never forget when I was uh, when I was in high school, I remember one of our next door neighbors, she was expecting it. It seemed like she was always pregnant with some child or another. But I used to be sitting in <laughs> economics class. And I could see outside of our classroom window is a steep hill. That, you know, it's it's in Mexico. It's like this grassy hill that just goes up the side of the mountain. And that saint of a woman, every day, she would be doing climbs up and down that hill and, and like stair-stepping. She'd do backwards. She'd do sideways walks and things like that. She birthed the healthiest babies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, two of them played, you know, uh, football for BYU right now. Like <laughs> they're just they're bosses of yeah. athletes, and that's that's begun pre prenatally pre pre pregnancy. So um, that is a that is a huge factor there is mom's activity level level and things like that. And and pregnancy is not some debilitating demyelinating disease. I feel yeah. like like OBs are just so scared. Like they they really truly view the body as so fragile that it's like oh mom don't. You know, don't lift anything over five pounds and make sure that you're taking, you know, plenty of rests and drink water, but not too much water and get magnesium, but not too much magnesium and, and make sure you're getting some salt, but not too much salt. Forget about our ancestors and what our ancestors had to go through when they were pregnant. Oh, it's insane. What, like, when you were pregnant, it didn't, you didn't stop life. Yeah. You just kept going. It just became yeah. harder for you, but you adapted through it. Right. And that's what created, I mean, healthy children. You hear heart-wrenching stories of, you know, Jewish refugees giving birth on trains and boats and things like that was that was not ideal. But those kids were were healthy. They're resilient from the get go. Nature has primed the newborn with adipose tissue. You know they have brown fat that keeps them warm. They have uh, you know mom's breast supply that that is keeping them fed. Like it's just uh, I don't know. Moms are not weak, and if anybody is pushing that narrative, it's because they're getting paid to tell you that why. So. I love that. Moms are not weak. Moms are badasses. <laughs> I'm going to pull the bleeper button after you need to on this episode because you need to understand that. You're a bad A mother, but don't take no shit out of nobody. 
All right. <laughs> I don't know if I need to like cut that part out because it's from a movie. <laughs> All right, so tell me a little bit about like nervous development because I know uh, neurology, especially like prenatal neurology and like um, like fetal neurology, all those different things is something that you're very, very much an authority in. I go to you for a lot of like the different topics I want to study. Yeah, we so tell me a little bit about that process. We had a really fascinating idea or a, kind of a big idea exchange a while ago. And it's funny because we always end up on the same side of the issue, and I don't know how good or like we do. Truth, it's, it's a problem. We I, found like one. You found one thing that, and we'll get to that thing too. We'll, we'll get to that thing eventually. It's a little thing, like it's a little. But I, I am kind of going more over to design on that thing. So, so we'll we'll get to that. Time. But uh, when it comes to these things, we we start off and just kind of exploring where we are, and kind of end up on this consensus of of what it is. But I remember we talked about, you know, like the infinite question, like where, when does life begin? When does conception, when does, you know, yeah. when is it a human life, basically? And that's a pretty basic question, I guess you could say. And there are people who say, oh, as soon as you have a union of a unique genetic chromosomal pairing, you know, that's, that's life, things like that. There's conception, there's all these different windows. And I don't know what the, what the truth is. I'm not here to preach, you know, religion or, um, philosophical, you know, politics, especially around this issue, because it's a hot button topic and everybody needs to, to figure that out for themselves. But I will say that I think we can all agree at day 50 is where the pineal gland is formed in the brain. And that is what is aware of so much consciousness and self and creative expression, things like dreams and um, artistic ability, things like that are, are thought to. The, the preliminary research that we're doing on that structure of the brain is very much pointing to this pineal gland as something that creates dreams and um, this DMT spirit molecule. Now, if you get into some of that stuff, it's very related to the structure of the brain. That wakes up and starts creating endogenous dimethyltryptamine. You know, it's, it's creating its own DMT in the body, independent of the mother, by day 50. And that's where you start to get differentiation into a male and a female um, fetus as well. And so that is... That, I think, day 50 is kind of that, that beginning of developmental neurology, so to speak. And babies start to dream. You know, we can, we've monitored um, fetal brain waves and things like that. That's right when they start having dreams. And they're kind of in a dreamlike state for most of that time. Do you think that's kind of like when that, that baby's innate? Kind of? I think that's when that intelligence it kind of becomes separate from mom's. Because to a certain point, mom has to yeah. provide it with blood supply and nutrition and all of the elements just right for it to grow. But at that point, that's where it's like, okay. We got this. We're going to start developing ourselves here. We're going to we're going to preserve the lives. We're going to start doing our yeah, yeah. And those tissue cells, those genetic stem cells, they go into mom's bloodstream as well, um, and they will remain with her for the rest of her life. Even if she loses the baby, she carries the genetic stem cell in her body and her bloodstream. Forever. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's why scientifically we can't uh, classify a fetus as a parasite. It is, it is a symbiotic relationship. It's mom and baby helping each other out because those stem cells that the baby makes, they've been known to repair tissues and organs in mom's body that, you know, that it's growing in the baby's body as well. So it's very much a 50-50 give and take. Um, and that's why the, the narrative today is so much against innate intelligence. And, and as a chiropractor, I don't know how you could see it any other way. It is an, in a, a completely self-contained system that's organized. Like it's a person. It doesn't matter what religion you are, what your, what your views on things like that. Like the body's got to be more than just a collection of biological processes. Yeah, it's not just a machine with all these processes. Or it's, you know, we would have figured it out. 
Yeah. So like in all the study and all the, the science we've done, but no matter how much we do, we honestly don't know hardly anything about what the body does, how it functions. There is something inside the body that causes these processes that continue to go. That when you cut yourself or you think about people who like, we always hear these stories about these amazing things where people have healed themselves, like meditation and these, and I feel like people are so quick to count those things out. But you know, there's something that we don't understand. And I feel like we're so quick to knock something that we don't have a full understanding of. Yeah. But yet someone has an amazing experience with something like that. Yeah. And, and unfortunately that projects over into the birth process, the delivery processes. We think we know all the parts and pieces that make up a health delivery. And it's, oh, it's all effacement and cervical dilation and, and what station the baby's head is crowning at and position of, you know, the baby's body presentation of the, you know, the baby. Those are all the parts and pieces that make it up. But the birth experience overall can and should be something sacred and spiritual because that, that is something that will forever change those parents. And, and it changes us as birth workers. If you've ever been present for a birth, when that new life comes forward, you know, on the other end of life, when, when somebody leaves, the world and and there's death that experience definitely stays with you and, and forever afterwards you you have to acknowledge that there's something beyond just the parts and pieces to make that up there's an intelligence there that is organizing things and when that intelligence is gone it's just stuff it's just parts and pieces that are there you know, we yeah. dissected a lot of that stuff yeah, when we were in school and so um very different from how our culture views the medicalization of birth it, it's a miracle it's not medical yeah, and you know we talked we talked a little bit about this, and he brought up something and kind of compared it to like the same intimacy that we have during conception. Yeah, is it's less that's the same intimacy that we should have during during the birthing process. Yeah, okay. I mean, think about like when a dad sits his head up against a mom's stomach and listens for the baby's heartbeat, or just just listens or feels the baby's hand. Like that right there is such an intimate moment. Yeah, that why are we not having that through the entire? Yeah, like, this is such an amazing process, and yet we we put so much fear and like you could die, you can, you can die doing anything. <laughs> you get like this is the coolest opportunity you have. Just be prepared for it. Yeah, preparation is everything. Yeah, and I love watching either home births or birth center births or even baby friendly hospitals that allow this type of thing. If dad is there to catch the baby, um, or mom catches her own own child there, the first contact that baby has with the outside world, like that has to be some kind of a connection or a spiritual, you know, that's something sacred. And a lot of times they're, they're falling into gloved hands or, or trays and things like that, that it's very sterile. And then you think of it and you're, you're pulled out of this warm, you know, living environment and you're now you're put on this stainless steel scale. You're weighed. You're under these fluorescent lights. You're wheeled around on these carts with a bunch of strangers and noises and things. Like, off and then, yeah, and you're yeah, you're dried off. Your heel is poked for a blood test. You're like fingerprinted or heel printed, and like the system is just so hungry for these new little offerings to come into it that there's really no there's nothing left of that sacred intimacy that should be between a husband and wife and. And that same love can can have such expression in the birthing process. If mom is not drugged up, if baby's not hauled away, if dad is in that room and not in some waiting room somewhere, you know, there's just so much of it that I I can't believe we're not more outraged about. And especially in you know, you know, here in in our culture and in especially in in America and and in Utah specifically, 
why, why are we okay with this medicalization and standardization of something that has always been very unique and miraculous? Very individualized. It should be individualized. We're going to try and bring it a little bit back and more towards like prenatal care. Yeah. And so, I mean, with the prenatal neurology and everything like that, like what role as a chiropractor, like, I mean, recommending, of course, we're going to recommend that pregnant mothers get adjusted because why is it important that the mom's nervous system is functioned where that the mom is able to function well while she's pregnant? Like, how does that affect the baby? Right. And um, I love what Dr. Tony Abel said in the pediatric experiences. He, he always compares, he says, yeah, the, the umbilical cord is like a, a supply chain. You know, it's, it's feeding food and, and blood flow and oxygen, all that stuff that we need for tissue growth. But it's also a, a power cord. You know, that's the the nervous system is working through those specialized cells and it's working through hormones and all these other signaling pathways that if mom is in trouble, that baby's heart rate will increase. You know, that's just, if she's exercising, maybe the heart rate goes up. Like things, you can see that they're very much tied in a symbiotic relationship to that. And so when I adjust a mom, I obviously can't reach in rebellion and adjust a baby and there's really no need at that point because they're not weight bearing. There's no that they're so protected from so many thoughts and toxins and traumas that cause the stresses on the outside. Once they're out on their own, yeah, now toxins and traumas are definitely you know on the table for that. But adjusting mom's system and putting her in that ease and that the parasympathetic safe state, you know, where she's in that growth mode, that rest, digest, build a healthy baby mentality, those will reset her nervous system tone, and that tells the baby, hey, everything is safe, everything's good. I have about three moms that I adjusted this week for the last time before their quote-unquote due date, and we'll get to that whole thing in a minute. But um, maybe the last yeah, time I adjust them as pregnant at birth. Pregnant women. <laughs> yes. And so um, a lot of times after that first, that after that, that chiropractic visit, they'll begin labor. You know, we saw yeah. a lot in our practice in Arizona. And it came to the point that this, uh, you know, well-intentioned OB called and said, you know, are you, are you telling my patients that you can put them in labor with a chiropractic adjustment? I said, absolutely not. Like, and now I specifically addressed that with his mom saying, hey, when I adjust you, your body's going to feel like it's safe. It's in a, it's in a place where it can have a baby without threats and, and constant, you know, stimulus and input and threats. And so it might naturally just start having a baby. Yeah. And, and I've seen that. And it's it's not a bad thing. You know, a lot of women are freaked out. They're like, oh, if you get adjusted, you can go into preterm labor. Well, preterm because you're a week before your due date, that's that's just that's not preterm. Yes. <laughs> so and I will just say for the record, the American College of uh, Obstetrics and Gynecologists says post term doesn't happen until forty two weeks after our wow. original thing. And so I hate to say it, but moms, you could be pregnant for forty two weeks and and that would be perfectly within normal for your baby and your body. And, and don't let them tell you that at 39 weeks you need to start inducing because that baby's going to get too big or anything like that. Um, I, I, there are some very common lies out there, and that's, let's just call them what they are. Um, and that is, oh, your body's not built for this. Your hips are too narrow. You, you have preeclampsia. You know, it's inevitable. It's incurable. Um, we, we have to induce. Um, you had a C-section before, so we have to do a, a C-section delivery now. You can have a VBAC you know, delivery if that is in your heart. That's something that you know that you need to do. So whenever somebody tells you that you can't do X, Y, Z when it comes to birth, what they're really saying is, I don't have the training to do that. Or my hospital administrator and my lawyers and my insurance company won't pay me if I do it that way. It's too risky or it doesn't pay well or whatever it is, or hospital policy 
XYZ, fill in the blank. And a lot of moms feel like that's just the medical reality of the world we live in, and it's not. It's totally informed by policies and insurance companies that have a direct financial interest in you falling into line and doing it the way they tell you to. Yeah. You know, it's no longer an individual thing that it should be. It's become you you're you're a number, the baby's a number. Yeah. It's let's get them out into the world, let's get them registered and now they're they're human. Yeah. And as opposed to everybody's an individualized being that has these attributes that are specifically theirs and it needs to be addressed that way. Um like patient centric care. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that should be what we strive for. And it's a form of consent. Yeah, I think. And I want to talk a little bit about, like, especially like in the prenatal in the prenatal realm, and and I mean birthing as well. Um, do you think that I feel like a lot of things have become more about doctor centered care, where it's mm-hmm. for ease of the staff as opposed to ease of the mother and right. ease of the child, and it's protecting their assets because yeah, um, they don't they don't want a lawsuit on their hands, they don't want to look bad for their colleagues, they don't want to take a risk, you know, um, and birth is, is risky. Like we have to accept that. Um, hopefully you know that going into life is risky. Life is risk. Yeah. We, we are so, and especially more so after, you know, recent pandemic years, like we are so scared of something going wrong that we're not living anymore. So kind of going back to the prenatal, um, neurology and stuff babies before we are anything else in the womb we are a spinal cord and a nervous system and a, and a brain you know that's controlling everything else we develop from that basic structure called a notochord we develop from that and and it's very rudimentary development we are of the primates we are the least neurologically developed when we come out we we can't start grabbing things we can't see branches and follow them up into trees and you know uh, we are the most helpless things when we get here because our neurological development is so much greater than our peers we only have time to build the basic structures in those nine months and then we have to come outside and finish that on on the outside um and that's as it should be but we have to stop expecting um we have to let that timeline happen as it will and and so um yeah i'm not sure where i was going with the rest of that but i think um, that that neurology starts to develop early on, and we have to support it as it as it continues at its pace. So pregnancy adjustments very much for the mother, and it kind of flows down. It's that downstream flow. You, you keep the mother's nervous system well adjusted. You keep yeah. her body adapting well to the big strains that are being put up, and that's where it comes out. Time of adaptability, and we talked about that in a lot of the episodes before. Is that the adjustment and what we do in here is very much trying to prepare your body to adapt well. Uh-huh. And I think if the mom can adapt ideally and, and be able to adapt fully to this constant strain that's being put on her body, yeah. then she's going to be way better off. And I think we need to understand that like being pregnant does not mean that you have to cut off everything. You might have to moderate some things, but your body's still so amazing to adapt. You are not a fragile doll. You are a badass <laughs> who has these amazing capacity and, and capabilities and it's because they are okay um my mom had six kids 104 pounds now that woman's a badass um so i mean it's things like that where, where we don't give our bodies near enough credit for how well they're able to handle these things well and in school in obg classes i we kind of have this idea that there's this like thin film of skin right around this like 
ticking time bomb inside there. You don't want to push on that or be anywhere near. No, if you understand your anatomy and what's protecting that thing there, um, moms are, are just incredibly resilient. And, and at first, I didn't want to work with this population because I was so scared of something going wrong. You know, yeah. very fragile, slow moving, like, oh, I have to have soft music on in my office all the time and stuff like that. No way. Moms, they'll, don't waddle in with six kids in tow and like yeah. half of them aren't even theirs. And they'll like, play here <laughs> at the table. And I'm adjusted. They get up and yell at three of them and they drag the rest of them out. It's just like, man, that is the coolest thing. Yeah. <laughs> what do you tell people when they ask you why why you adjust babies? Or how you adjust them? What's that experience been like for you? I mean, adjusting babies are interesting. Like, well, well, we'll talk a little bit more about adjusting like prenatally right now. We'll kind of get into the pediatric care a little bit in one of the later episodes. Yeah. Uh, but specifically when it comes to prenatal, like mothers getting adjusted, it is very different. You need to understand that if you're a chiropractor, if you go in and he's like, okay, and he adjusts you like he normally, like if you get adjusted, like you're not pre- like someone who wasn't pregnant gets adjusted, never go back. And I'm calling you out, chiropractors. If you're adjusting a pregnant mom like you adjust every other patient, shame on you. Get educated or send them to someone who knows what they're doing. Okay? That is like the biggest problem that I have is that when moms come in to get adjusted and they get treated like every other patient. No. They are very different. You need to, you need to be treated differently. And it's, it's very much being careful with how you're doing things. And... I mean, I know there's there's definitely like a lot of doctors will do specified training just in how to adjust uh, pregnant women, mm-hmm. and I mean you're very much an authority in this in this field. A lot of trainees done a lot of training, thousands of hours of training, thousands of patients, and I mean explain like because I know a lot of people have come into you and they've come into me and they've said, oh well, I'm just really afraid because my OB told me that I should not get adjusted, and yeah. I've watched people get adjusted. I don't want them to do that to me. I always, I take that as a challenge. Like it's like somebody threw down the gauntlet. They came on my territory and they insulted my profession. Like I didn't pick this fight, but I'm going to take it to your OB. And I just very nice. And say, oh, who, who are you seeing? You know, who's taking care of you? I just want to know you so I can have some continuity of care, follow up with them. And then I'll go be down their door and be like, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I'm Dr. Valdez. Yeah, I've been taking care of some of your patients. And I just understand that you have some misgivings about what I'm doing. Like, can you tell me why? And it's usually because they saw some guy in China with a head wrapped around some pregnant woman's how, like, you know, like, um, yeah. just swinging them around. Yeah. And I'm like, I want you to come in my office. I'll adjust an OB who, who will listen. I had a phenomenal OB in Dallas. She, she, all through her pregnancy, she was very consistent with care. Um, she had us at her labor delivery and, and right after that and just had a phenomenal outcome. Um, and she was recommending all of her patients go in f- for care with that. Um, I did have a patient this last week. She gave me an awesome compliment. She says, I, I went to my OB and I told her that this was the thing that, and I think this is her fourth pregnancy. She says, this is the easiest baby I've had so far because of Dr. Valdez. And her OB says, well, I refer to so many chiropractors and I get such a mixed bag of results. Like, but you're the third person that's told me that they're seeing these results with this type of chiropractic care. And let me just say for the record, I'm not magic. There's nothing secret that I'm doing. Oh, he's magic. Well, maybe a little bit magic. But <laughs> no, I I follow what I've been taught, and I, I read the evidence, and I stay up to date on all these different things, these practices. Find somebody who who is specifically tailored to your type of of chiropractic, um, who who is willing to put in those hours and and serve those patients that way in that model, and great things happen. So 
it's, it's a very different adjustment. If you've ever seen a pregnancy adjustment, um, there, there's a lot of tonal stuff that's involved with it where going a little bit, I mean, put some pressure on ligaments, things like that. We're very, very specific for a mother and the anatomy that, and the physiology, the physiological changes that happen with a mother. I remember the first time you ever watched me adjust a pregnancy. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I don't even know how to describe it, but you were just like, it was, it was so, oh my gosh. <laughs> High yeah. fives and hugs. I mean, he was, he was, he was one of my mentors in school. Yeah. That was how we became friends was, uh, he actually taught this big seminar because it was a big deal. <laughs> And still is. And anyway, um, this is my I, I get in there and like just watching him do these different things and the individualized care is that he was so good at taking an individual person and being like, hey, this is this. I'm not going to adjust the exact same things. It's not going to be a <laughs> both sides of the neck, just pop, pop on each side. It's very much, let me see what, what's going on. Yeah. Let me feel your body. Let me see what your tone is. What's your muscle doing? How's your body feeling like? Is your body freaking out right now? Is, is everything tight? Um, and that's going to tell me a lot about your nervous system response right now. What is the, what is the mode your nervous system is? Yeah. And, and I had some amazing mentors through school that really helped me. And I remember one time in a class, we just, we had a partner that would stand against the wall and you would just put your hands on your hips and just feel motion of their sacrum as they kind of moved through these figure eight motions. And you start to feel what that normal feels like. And after a while, and we did that for an uncomfortably long amount of time to have your hands on somebody else's like hips, feeling that motion there. Yeah. But you start to see, okay, this is how this is supposed to feel. And so anything besides that, you start to correct that accordingly. And I had some great mentors that were very much, um, Dr. Mark Charette taught me the degree of specificity with which you can palpate a problem, you know, touching and feeling where that motion is lacking. That's the degree of specificity that you can adjust that with. And so if I am 100% certain that this tailbone is is not moving where it's supposed to, guess where I'm going to focus on getting movement on there. And I'm not just going to guess and hope that things get a little bit better and move a bunch of things that yeah. didn't have to along the way. So you're going to get way better results if you have someone who adjusts you specifically for you. Yeah. Uh, specifically for what your body needs. And I mean, palpation is definitely the biggest determinant. And I think that's something that people don't really understand is that it's, it should be a very specific adjustment. Mm -hmm. And the pop is not always what we want, especially in pregnant moms. Like you may have pops, but if someone's twisting it up and stuff, you already have different hormones that are making your ligaments more lax, yeah. which is going to, I mean, you're going to have more flexibility in these things. And we don't want to be stressing those ligaments to the point where, where we're causing this plastic deformation. Yeah. Okay. Because plastic deformation is not a good thing when it comes to the ligaments. And sometimes less is more when it comes to that. And same with, with anything in chiropractic, I guess. Sometimes the least amount that you can do is, is what the body's going to pay the most attention to and adapting to that. Um, there's very much, you can tell the patients who think that everything has to pop and move and shift and yeah. snap before it's going to be better. And yeah. it, that's, that's just not what I've seen. There's a lot of really good accrediting bodies. It's, it's hard because in our profession, there's no licensing body that really has jurisdiction over everything. There's a lot of really good organizations that have done the research and they have training and stuff for chiropractors. And so you can look at those databases and try to find someone who's certified in that. Um, but honestly, just word of mouth and, and, and having referrals from other chiropractors yeah. in that space. I have, you know, great friends all across the country now that practicing that I would send my pregnant mamas to. Um, but just because they have a technique certification specific to that or if they don't, it doesn't mean that they can't adjust that way. So that, that really you have to take that with a grain of salt. Look at their fruits. Yeah. I mean, that's how you're going to know people is, is definitely by the fruits that they, that they produce. 
And some if it's a mixed bag and you have some good and some bad experiences, then that's kind of like a placebo. Like it, it could be attributed to a number of things. What was mom's exercise routine? What was her nutrition? All that stuff. Yeah. So, and I do think those affect prenatal. Absolutely. And, and that's something I want to talk a little bit about is that, that exercise portion of it. Because we talked about that ligament laxity that you get um, during pregnancy. And um, I mean, it's so important. Moms have got to understand when you're pregnant, especially fit moms, because I've talked to many different, a lot of friends in the fitness world, women that I've trained um, who are concerned that when they get pregnant, they're going to lose all the gains that they've made. It's going to be this terrible thing. It's going to just ruin their body. And then after pregnancy, it's going to be so hard to get it off. And they don't understand that this is the perfect time for you to really take care of your body. You should be strength training. And yeah, you may not be able to do some of the things that you used to be able to, and you may have to moderate things and and change them and kind of cycle them back a little bit as we get closer towards um towards the time of birth but you can still be doing a lot of stuff and you need to be doing strength training because then again when your body is strength training your hormones are going to be way way better at balancing out your insulin is going to be controlled a lot more which is going to affect the baby's insulin i want to talk about gestational diabetes and stuff exercise be exercising every day to the degree that you can i'm not saying go super hard yeah. all right but you can still maintain a lot of of that benefit and you'll notice that if you stay active throughout your entire pregnancy and then when you have the baby and afterwards you're going to feel a lot better the baby's going to be a lot better because you were adapting you're still putting your body in that adaptation mode and the, the baby's going to it's going to um, benefit from that hugely and um it's michelle really right <laughs> yeah I, I, was, I was just thinking of michelle she's just been a, a, a badass mom through this whole I, I, you know if you follow her on instagram she she really practices what she preaches you guys are like best friends at, at the seminar you were just actually she's yeah she is amazing but, but you guys are very much in sync with your philosophy on that i think of like uh lindsey Cantu and you know, Gabriela Martinez, like these, these moms that are just really into the, the fitness while they're pregnant. If I were ever pregnant, I would just want to land the couch and eat bon bon's head with feet up. I would, I would be the worst pregnant mom ever. I just know it. <laughs> no, sure. but, but you see these, these moms that are out there, they're moving and they're doing that and they're ready to get back to a, a functional level as soon as they can. And that's so much easier to do if you're not recovering from a massive invasive surgery and a whole bunch of interventions. Um, but we also have to give yourself a lot of grace because pregnancy will forever alter the physiology of a woman's body. Yeah. Nothing will be as it was. And that's okay. We have a lot of women that are trying to stay in that pre-mom phase forever. And they spend a lot of money on surgeries and interventions and things after birth to try to get back to, like, try to erase the fact that birth ever happened to them. And that's like, those are scars that I'm really proud of moms wear. So I think that's that kind of, and I want to just bring the point when it comes to dads and their responsibility when it comes to that. Yeah. If you're involved in the, the whole process of that care and that care process of this entire, this entire amazing journey you're going to be taking with your, with your wife, if you show her how much you support her and show her that you're there for her and that you understand the changes that are going on, how hard it is for her. Um, I mean, she's going to feel way better about it. She's going to be supported emotionally, physically, spiritually as well. And I think so many moms are worried that when things change, their husband's not going to view them the same way. But if the husband's there with you, struggling with you, adapting with you, think about how much stronger you're going to be. Yeah. Like challenges only make you a stronger couple. And 
Like there is no growth in a in a comfort zone, and there's no comfort in a growing zone. Yeah, you have to to push those limits. And so dads, like buck up. It's time for you to get involved. Be there for for your wife. Yeah, and I mean, when your wife needs something, be there for her. Um, but also encourage her and just be like, you can do this. I love you so much. Like you're you're amazing. We're gonna get through this. And and mothers, you you can. You're. A, you're I mean, I won't say it again. <laughs> you can do it. And and prenatal, there's so much preparation that should go in from the minute you decide it's time to have a baby. Let's let's both start eliminating our toxin loads. Let's start sleeping like we're supposed to. Let's start working out together. Let's do everything that we can so that our bodies are in their top adaptation phase and ready to ready to do this. The best possible outcomes come when there's preparation. There's uh, people ready for that. Yeah, and I mean, I have so many people, and this is this is something that. Uh, <laughs> that very very much i've experienced a lot is people telling me that you just wait till this happens you're gonna you're gonna get fat you're, you're not gonna be able to work out you're not gonna look the way you do you're gonna change um, all of your principles yeah, you're, you're gonna change all these things all these things you've done for so long are just gonna completely up. Yeah. when you have kids all this stuff will change you won't work out anymore you will not have any time <laughs> and um i mean it kind of goes back to i remember my dad when i served a, an ecclesiastical mission my dad had told me that i was gonna be fat and and I was like, oh, the hell I am. <laughs> and I mean, it, it really, it really made me like kind of prioritize some things. You do not have to work out for hours and hours a day, but you got to understand if you keep those habits built through the pregnancy process and especially dad and mom, if you can build those habits and really prioritize a healthy life, sleep, nutrition, eating well, um, supporting the mother's diet, supporting those different things, and then having that exercise as well. When the baby comes out, you're still going to have that same those same habits in place. It's going to be so much easier for you. Things are going to flow a lot better, okay? And there's just so many so many things that happen from that habit forming process. When when nutrition is addressed early on in pregnancy and the nervous systems of all parties involved are firing on all cylinders, there's a lot less stress and emotional trauma and cravings and you know which are vitamin deficiencies that are your yeah. body's trying to correct it it's just preparation an ounce of preparation is worth a pound of cure or whatever they say you know if you can get ahead of this thing be proactive with all this stuff rather than waiting for it to build up to a point where yeah you do need some kind of a, a drastic intervention there just go into this on the same page prepared as you can be and and do what you know you need to to have a healthy pregnancy and, yeah. and all those things that you mentioned Common misconceptions that mom is eating for two. You know what? What do you say to that, doctor? <laughs> oh, um, so I mean, in our in our class for pediatrics, OBGYN, um, we we very much we went over like what the recommendations from the um, the American OBGYN Association, whatever it's called, is. And as they as we went and we read through those, it's I think the most they recommend like calories over what the mom needs um, during pregnancy is like. At the highest point, which I think is sometime during like second trimester or something, it's like 350 to 500 calories extra, which I think mom, you gotta understand, like, that's not a ton. Like, that baby's not huge, and yeah, your, your body's gonna be stressed out a little bit more. And doing exercise, you're gonna burn more calories because you have more on you. And so, exercise, you will expend more, so you do need to have more calories. But that is assuming that you're not really doing much. That's just laying in bed. Yeah. More than your basal metabolic rate, that's how much more you need to be eating. So you're not necessarily eating for two, but 
That's like breathing deeply while you walk by a cinema to the mall. Like, that's 950 calories, you know? <laughs> like, but, I mean, and, and I don't want to try and tell any moms, like, you, you absolutely need to, it is better to have more nutrients there for your baby than not enough. Mm-hmm. And so be sure you're getting enough. But you can still eat healthy. And yeah, you're going to have cravings for certain things. A lot of times that just means you're, you're nutrient deficient. And a lot of times these multivitamins that we're taking, they're not regulated by anything. Yeah. When was the last time they had a third-party testing on that, on all of the multivitamins yeah. that you're given? Well, and sometimes, you know, folic acid is not folate. You need you need the bioavailable version of that, yeah. that vitamin. Um, you don't always have to have a glucose tolerance test. And you definitely don't have to drink the preservative and sugar-laden, artificially dyed, nasty otter pop drink. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, anything but that, like the worst possible thing we could give a woman, let's, let's put this in and see yeah. how the body responds to it for science. Now, you can, you can request to do other things, um, to check that in, in other ways. And we could talk about that in more detail. You don't have to have an ultrasound every 10 minutes while a baby's growing. Yeah. Like there, there is sufficient evidence that shows that that is not a good thing for those growing nervous systems to be exposed to those frequencies. Um, in, in vitro, you know, we've isolated those nerves in, in glass samples and looked at those things, what happens when you bombard them with, with ultrasound and it's, there's nothing good that can come from that. So, uh, be aware of your cell phone use, your Wi-Fi router, where's your electric box in your house? Are you laying next to that thing every night when you fall asleep and those, you know, high frequency, you know, sound waves and things are all traveling right through baby's brain you know there's yeah. so many things that you can worry about but but pick the things that you can control and and all the things that your your ob is telling you are standard or you need to do this or it's time to do this ask questions like research that yeah you find out for yourself on these things take control of the whole situation because you're the boss yeah and think it's i'm making this into the words i need to um I think one thing we need to realize is that, like, if you're not eating enough as a mom, you're, you're, the baby's actually going to, your body's going to give up its own nutrients for the baby. You'll start losing more weight because your body's going to start taking from your own stores and giving the baby to help produce that baby. Because innately, your, your body, its biggest thing is, I need to make this child. Yeah. I need to be healthy. I can recover later. And that's why it's so important that you are taking care of your nutrition in the right way, giving it quality things, but again, reducing toxic load because that, I mean, that delivery system, right? That umbilical cord, as much as there's going to be some filtering, like pretty much everything you're putting in your body, all the lotions you're rubbing on yourself, all these different things are getting shuffled into that baby. And so as much as you can reduce that toxic load, do it. Dads, especially like stop using your super smelly colognes and stuff. I know you like smelling good, Let's let's address your 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 bo some other way. Okay, there's so many other ways. Reduce the talks. Yeah, yeah. Showers. Stop using all of the garbage that you're using. And also, I mean, moms become so sensitive to smells and stuff when they're pregnant. Like you got to understand, there's also like pheromonal activity and stuff that happens when you are eating the way you're supposed to when you're exercising, and that will actually kind of create more of a connection there. And Tell me a little bit about like hormone association, if you know anything about this, like hormone yeah. association between the mother and the, the father during pregnancy. Well, and before I before we leave the topic of topic toxins completely, um, okay. but starving babies does address some ways that you can eliminate those. Yes, it one does. Big ones. Going into pregnancy, if you plan to breastfeed on the other end, don't wait until baby's here before you start tackling that. Like that's something that we need to start looking at 
prenatally or preconception even. Um, but an increasingly common toxic load that we're dealing with is something called dioxins, which if you get store-bought meats, um, they're usually treated with chloride or bromide. Um, and when those burn in the presence of oxygen, they form these dioxins that your body, you eat those. And as early as day nine after conception, there's measurable effects that they start to accumulate in breast tissue and they shut down mammary gland cell production by as much as half by day nine. And so if you're trying to establish a breast milk supply, address that first by local and by clean and, and know where your food is coming from. Because if you're eating those types of dioxins and they're, they're, they're everywhere, it's really hard to find food that doesn't have that. But that's something you want to tackle early on if you are trying to establish a, a milk supply afterwards. But, quality fats and proteins for sure when you're pregnant yeah. like that needs to be you need to be just really focusing on that because if you're just getting a whole bunch of seed oils and garbage stuff like that canola vegetable oil all those different things or processed meats or even store-bought meat that's been preserved or filled or um, sterilized with these non-native chemicals um, buy buy local buy grass-fed grass-finished beef um, those and eat you know, liver, organ meats are, are amazing. And usually those aren't sprayed very neutral. So yeah, um, that, that food should be your medicine um, starting out. So what was your, your question before that? It was, it was a good one, but we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up for this episode. I think we've covered a lot of important things. Yeah. Um, we'll kind of move from the prenatal stuff into, you know, end of third trimester pre-delivery type um, awareness and, and planning for a connected birth because that that intention oh, is about hormones uh, hormones between the mother and the father while she's pregnant yes. and that kind of connection that yeah. builds between them yeah yeah the the less artificial smells you can pump into your environment the better and we talked a little bit about what causes those those issues phthalates are smell neutralizers odor neutralizers they capture smells and they are some of the most common body burden chemicals that we're finding and there's about 130 of them that are showing up in baby's bloodstream before they're even delivered because the scentsy candles the febreze things the axe body spray the all the different colognes and, and yeah. deodorants and things if it says fragrance on it or perfume i want you to think that that is something that is messing up mom's nervous system and that connection with her nose um and and how that is going to help her respond to baby and baby recognize mom's scent so the less that you can have cluttering up that communication pathway, the better. And yeah, that means throwing out processed foods and reducing their, your toxic load and going to sauna and trying to detox as much of the of the nasty Ooh, bugs and things like that. Um, with anything like that or hot tubbing or things like that, you want to be careful regulating mom's body temperature. If it's a bath, you fill up a bath of hot water, mom climbs in it, the water starts to cool and the mom's body starts to heat up, but it reaches a point where it's kind of an equilibrium and then it cools down from there. That's okay. That's healthy. When she's in a sauna or when she's in a jacuzzi that's constantly heating, she's just going to heat up and that bath water stays hot and you never reach that equilibrium where it kind of starts cooling. And so avoid anything like that um, because you don't want to cook a little fried egg in there. You know? <laughs> kind of the same cold exposure in your opinion? Um, not necessarily. But first of all, those heat shock proteins that non-pregnant humans chase and crave, you know, like the dynorphins yeah. and the, you know, those things, mom's got all kinds of things like that going on in her body. She, she, I don't think she needs that, honestly. Um, 
because you're a badass. You don't need more of that. So, <laughs> just, just trying to be badass. So. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, I mean, we'll kind of conclude that episode right there. Yeah. Is there anything else that you feel like you need to add? I mean, there's more to come. We'll get to those in other episodes, okay. but those were great. This is the first like real podcast interview I've had from granted my best friend who's <laughs> heard me eat, sleep and, and talk this for the last year. Basically. Honestly, I, I, I went on a big walk this morning and I walked like six months and then just listened to several of the podcasts that he's been on. He's been interviewed and I just thought about all the questions that I wish they would ask. And, and I just, I wish that people, it made me realize just how little, especially guys, as guys know about any of these processes and any of the information, because we feel like we just can't get involved. We feel like we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have opinion. You should absolutely have an opinion, have an informed opinion. But be willing to change it and recognize that every that pregnancy is not the same for everybody. It's going to be very different. You need to figure out how it's going to work the best for your wife and for you, and and be there to support her and and not be afraid to say, "Hey, I I really would. Is there any way to do this? Like, agree on these things. Talk about these things before you get pregnant too. Have a plan. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't have a plan, you're part of somebody else's. And Oof. if you're just going for the doctor who's in your insurance provider or who's down the block, you know, you're going to get that type of care and that might not be the outcome that you want. So be intentional with this. Be aware of, of kind of the agendas at play here, the motivations of each party. And uh, yeah, we want to help you be proactive and, and plan for the type of birth that you want. Um, otherwise, you're going to need the type of birth that you get. And that's not always what everybody hopes. So anyway, stay yeah. strong, mamas. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Peace out. We'll talk to you you guys next time.